of independent thought my name is desmond price no matter where you are in the world i want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts as always we have a great show for you today now here are our topics hello everyone welcome back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price for today's episode i am joined by william compton a candidate for the second congressional district of kentucky william thank you for coming on independent thought today for having me yeah thank you so much now you are the first person that i've had come on the podcast who is running for a position of this nature and so i felt like it was very important for me to just start with a very just basic and honest question just so as me the interviewer you know why exactly did you decide to run for Congress? Like, what was it that led you to this moment? So the reason why I'm wanting to run is because I, I've lived in, in my area for my entire life. I live in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, and I've lived in Warren County my whole life. I've grew up here. And in the time that I've been alive, everything that I've seen my grandparents and my parents struggle with in, in our area. I'm, I'm seeing all of the students that I teach, their parents and their families struggling with the same things. So I'm not seeing anything changing. And that is what has motivated me to run for this position is because I, I want to make that change and I want to make everyone's lives better. Yeah, that's, that's an incredibly noble thing. I mean, honestly, right now there feels like there's more or less a lack of that in Washington. So I definitely appreciate that perspective. Now, you know, kind of like getting a little personal for a bit, you know, before we kind of dive into the deeper issues and the topic by topicness of it all. Uh, in your everyday life, you told me that you're a music educator, that you are involved in string orchestra, I believe. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, as somebody who's not involved in the arts in an everyday fashion the way that you are do you believe that the arts are underfunded in our country and what impact do they have on the the children who that you are an educator of uh to answer your first question most definitely they are underfunded whether it's music whether it's uh just normal art such as like painting or or sculptures or anything of that nature and, and even things like our family consumer science, which is a related arts course that students can take in our school system. All of those are underfunded. Uh, they act, are more beneficial than people think. And I can only speak about music since that's kind of the field I'm in at the moment. Right. Uh, but they, especially with this pandemic, these courses have not only been a relief to students, but they, they've also helped them get through these 
the hard times that we've endured this last year. Uh, I know with music, there, there's even science backing up to where uh, students who even just listen to music, and if you play music, it gets exponentially greater, their brain functions increase tenfold. And they're able to retain more information and they're able to learn more stuff in their other classes. I, I mean, think about it. Growing up, I learned alphabet, singing the ABC song. Uh, I, I don't use it in my everyday life, but I still remember uh, some mass terminologies, uh, quadratic formula. I can spout it off. I have to sing it as pop goes the weasel. I never use it, but I remember it. Yeah. And, and so mu music helps with those brain functions and helps make those neural connections. And that's something that a lot of people discount when they think about music class. They just think it's all fun and games. And students are having fun, but it's also benefiting them neurologically. Okay. And you're not going to get any disagreement from me. I I personally feel as though the arts are vastly underfunded in our country. Um, I'm hoping that more people like you can get into office and make a difference about that. But speaking of office, I know that you are currently the city commissioner of Plum Springs, Kentucky. Is that correct? That is. Yes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, like, what exactly does a city commissioner do? And how do you think that that experience will serve you as you attempt to you know, run, you know, for Congress? So uh, a little background information before I go into that. Uh, Plum Springs, it's a really, really small city just outside of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, I, I know in our last election, the uh, city commissioner who had the most on their ballot had only 80-something votes. It's a really small city. Um, essentially, with this city, the responsibilities have been just to ensure, one, the city doesn't go into debt with any of our financial obligations, uh, making sure that we are taking care of the city to the best of our ability. And we're trying to bring more business into the city. That's kind of been a extra part that we're trying to increase our revenue and, and build that fund natural stability here. Okay. Okay. So, you know, wh when it comes to, you know, focusing on now, like this, this transition towards running for Congress, I know that one of the things that we had spoken about previously was that you thought that some members of Congress were voting against the interests of the everyday person. Now tell me a little bit more about why you feel that way and what would you do differently if you were in office? Yeah. So, um, I, I do feel that way wholeheartedly on almost every front. I'll use the uh, most recent examples. We, uh, Congress had a vote to um, give the COVID relief fund out, yeah. the, the last COVID relief fund out. And our current representative who is a GOP member didn't yes. vote for it. And has not even said since then why he hasn't voted for it. Just didn't vote for it because every other Republican did not vote for it. When I've heard a lot of people who are struggling say, okay, this is, this is helping me get through that. Right. This is helping. Um, we, we've had 
votes in Congress where during the pandemic that were for uh, child care, giving uh, money for people so they can have child care so the parents can work and so they didn't have to stay home, especially if they were single parents. And again, he voted against that. So we saw many working families who they either lost income for a while because the parent had to stay home with their child if they were right. a single parent, or they just lost one of the two incomes, which hurt a lot of people badly. Um, and, and again, there's a whole slew of them. I could spend all night on a, a lot of the interests that they're voting against with uh, the people here. Um, I, another one is the uh, act that helped older Americans in the workforce, which kind of made sure that they were uh, taken care of and they weren't being discriminated against in the workforce. And our district has a lot of older Kentucky citizens. And again, our representative voted against it. And it, it, it's not helping the people here at all. And in fact, in some cases, especially with the uh, helping the older Americans in the Workforce Act, uh, it, it's almost like a slap in the face to some of our citizens. And, and again, we never know why they voted. He, he votes against anything. It's always just a vote and then he goes on. And that doesn't sit well with me, especially me being an educator. I, I like to know why with a lot of things. So right. it, it just doesn't sit well with me. And then again, there's a lot more examples of why he has voted against the interests of the people here. Yeah, and this kind of like leads me to my next question, more or less which is, you know, say, you know, you are elected to be the representative of the second district. Now, what would be, because there are so many different issues happening, not only in Kentucky, but across our country. And if you were elected, what would be the first piece of legislation that you would want to address? The, there, there's kind of two that I would want to address really quickly. Sure. One of the first ones would obviously be health care uh, for me. Everyone has to have health care at some point. Uh, and we are actually seeing studies where a lot of people who go into uh, bankruptcy, medical debt is a lot of those uh, yeah. reasons why they go into bankruptcy. And so seeing people who have to choose between a life-saving procedure or having a home for the next moss, it shouldn't happen in Kentucky or in America at all. And a, a little personal story, I actually, when I spoke with you, I talked about this a little bit. I got my finalized bill. So back last month, I am severely allergic to poison ivy yeah. and I had to go and get a steroid shot at the emergency room because my eyes were swollen shut and it was hard to breathe and everything. That one visit, if I had no insurance whatsoever, would have cost me $1,415.20. And so that was eye-opening myself to see that number just because I had to get a steroid shot to ensure that my throat didn't close up from an right. allergic reaction. And 
so I just imagine these working Americans who have had to dip into their savings or use all of it to stay afloat last year. And then if they're out doing yard work and something like that happens, that's a big hit to someone and causes a lot of stress. And again, could hurt someone and maybe cause them to go bankrupt. Um, And so I really would want to pass uh, the single payer Medicare for all system just to make it affordable for everyone and to ensure that it isn't tied to employment. Everyone has a chance to that health care, that okay. quality health care. And then the, the second one that I would really focus on kind of, I would kind of do them tandem together. It, it's working on our climate crisis, yes. which is uh, another big deal that, um, we are facing, you know, with the massive heat waves we're seeing across the West. And here in Kentucky, we're just seeing massive rainstorms just popping up left and right now. And there are places that are having some flooding issues right now. It's, you can tell it's changing. And we have the ability to fix that before it gets irreversible. And so, I would really push for things like the Green New Deal to bring renewable energy sources back to uh, Kentucky and to just the nation in general and just clean up our environment. Because once I'm dead and gone, the the children that I'm teaching and, and their children, I want to make sure that they have a world that they can live in and, and they can not have to worry about, can I breathe or am I going to be on fire because of this storm? because of massive heat waves, so. Yeah, no, it's something that we're dealing with here out in the West where I'm at. You know, we, I currently, I look out my window and I see wildfire smoke in my community right now. I mean, it was blowing into my apartment last night. So it is very real for me. I experienced this. I mean, the first few years I lived here, it wasn't as relevant. Now it feels like it's almost every single year we're dealing with this. But unfortunately, the the Green New Deal has such a a negative connotation around it, uh, due in large part to lots of people in the political sphere and in the media who have spent a lot of time trying to attach its name to just negative propaganda, more or less. Uh, Now you are in a state that you've told me is not a red state, but a gerrymandered state. Uh, But with that being said, how would you convince the people of Kentucky that they, in fact, would benefit and they do need a Green New Deal? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything bad about what I'm about to say. It's just human nature. Everyone, they vote for what they think is going to impact themselves, which honestly is why we ended up with Donald Trump. They thought he would help them in some way. And with the Green New Deal, we have to start talking about how it's going to help the economy, how it's going to help the job growth, how it's going to give the sustainable job, long lasting jobs. And we need to make sure that they know that we would invest into them as workers and give them reliable work. Uh, I know with Kentucky, we have the coal mines in the Eastern part of the state. Well, those are running dry. So putting, um, 
maybe solar energy out there and training them how to use it and, and guaranteeing them, you know, two years, if you work here for two years, you uh, almost like, like a tenure thing with teachers, like work here for two years and so we can train you. If you want to stay, you can stay. If not, then you're free to choose whatever job you want or something like that, just to invest into them. And again, it would be safer for the workers, give them benefits um, to ensure that they have everything they need and would help our environment. And so just making sure they know it'll help our economy. It'll help the working class people. It will help you. Right. And, you know, speaking of the economy, I th you know, we were talking before about the fact that one of the crops that is popping up in, well, that it's not popping up, but that is, you know, relevant for Kentucky for the longest time has been tobacco. And you had mentioned that you thought that it might be good for the people of Kentucky just from an economical standpoint to start utilizing uh, marijuana more. And so kind of along that line, do you believe that marijuana should be legalized nationwide? Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, there are, I, I cannot remember the exact number. It's like uh, 16 or 17 states now that have legalized mar recreational marijuana usage yep. in which one of the, in which one of the first ones was Colorado. And we've seen ever since they've done, like they've legalized it, that they've started having a surplus and money in their state. They've been able to tax it like they do alcohol sales. Uh, they've been able to create even machines that are essentially like breathalyzers for uh, marijuana use to ensure that no one's driving under the influence. Yeah. And, and, all of these can be done. Uh, we have a neighboring state, Tennessee, which you can buy it down there. And so people are already going down there to buy it in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And that's money that we're losing out. That's money that could be taxed. It's money that could come back into Kentucky and we're losing out on that. That money could be used in so many ways to help the citizens of Kentucky. And with the success it's had in other states, I think it would just be something beneficial to go on ahead, make it legal in all of the states. And then on top of that, make sure to expunge the records of anyone who has possession of marijuana. Since it is illegal in a quarter of the nation. Right. We need to ensure that, you know, no one's getting unfairly put in a prison system. Right. And actually, actually I was just about to ask you that question anyway. <laughs> uh, but, you know, for the people who are in prison right now for marijuana possession, not distribution, but possession, uh, do you think that those people should be released from prison for that offense because of the fact that it is now legal. I do. I do. They sh I, I feel like they should be released. And, and again, their records should be expunged um, for that just because of that. Um, I always tell everyone when I talk about this, think of the alcohol prohibition. If someone was arrested during the prohibition for possession of alcohol and then 
they repealed it to where it was legal. It wouldn't be fair to that person who was put in jail if it was backtracked. And so it's, right. it's the same situation with marijuana. So. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely agree with that. I, that's my personal stance on it. I feel like people who are in jail for marijuana possession for, for just possessing a plant. I mean, it's a little ridiculous, but on that note, everyone, we're going to take a quick break and We'll be right back with more with William Compton, but don't go anywhere. Make sure you check out this, this clip from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the luck. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through another episode of Independent Thought. So we are still joined here by Mr. William Compton. You had informed me that, you know, and tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong about the, the, exactly what this says here, but that you are the first openly gay candidate to run for Congress in Kentucky's second district, or is it in Kentucky overall? Um, I'm not sure about Kentucky overall, but I am sure about the Kentucky second district. Okay. So what exactly does that mean to you? Like, what is the significance of that for you personally? Personally, it, it shows the younger generation that it doesn't matter who you are. It, it shouldn't matter if you're gay, straight, whatever, that you can do whatever you want and, and you can make a difference in the world. Even if you're in, red state kentucky it doesn't matter you you can do whatever you want yeah and that's a i mean that's a really positive message for people to hear because we are right now living in a time where 
we are seeing a lot of anti-LGBTQ like bills passing through state houses across the country. So that is definitely a message that I'm sure a lot of people would probably very much have resonate with them. You know, but kind of going along those lines about these about some of these issues that that community is seeing right now, we were talking about your feelings on conversion therapy and how that is still happening here in this country. Just tell me a little bit about your feelings on it and whether or not you believe it should be banned. So with conversion therapy, I have very strong feelings against it. Uh, Growing up, I actually, when I came out, I had that threatened to be used on me. And it was quite a terrifying thing to have that possibility come to fruition in my life. Uh, For those of you who don't know, with music therapy, or not music therapy, sorry, conversion therapy, um, if you've ever seen the the popular uh, show, American Horror Story, and you've seen its second season, uh, this is the best way to describe it, that moment when the main character, uh, Lana, when her and Uh, the therapists are in a room and he is quote unquote trying to cure her um, from her LGBT thoughts for her partner Uh, and he essentially is torturing her the whole time that that's conversion therapy and and we've seen cases all across the nation where that has happened and again it's just torture uh, just trying to change what these children and young adults what they were born to be and it's so wrong on so many levels and it is really appalling that it's not banned nationwide Um, it's something that i would even consider a cruel and unusual punishment for uh, for people it it's not good at all yeah absolutely and so Obviously, this is something that you are very much against that you think, you know, should be legislated out of practice in our country, you know, kind of along the like the ideas of of civil rights, you know, one of the issues that has also been popping up recently has been involving uh, workers, you know, rights. And, you know, I did you, you mentioned to me last time that you are a supporter of labor unions. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. What exact, why exactly do you support labor unions and why do you think they have such a bad, I guess, like reputation more or less? So I support labor unions because one, it gives the worker a chance for that bargaining chip for a better workplace. You know, you think back to all of the uh, workplace standards we have now, like the uh, 40 hour work week, make, making sure you have breaks, the child labor laws, uh, things of that nature. That is all because union workers stood up for their rights and they saw that they were being taken advantage of from their corporations or whatever business they were working for. And so they're so important because they ensure that there's a part of the working force that keeps that from happening, keeps the workers from being exploited by whatever business they're working for. And speaking from personal uh, 
experience in Kentucky, the teachers, we have something called the Kentucky Educators Association or KEA. And so I don't know if a lot of people remember a couple years ago when teachers were attacked all across the nation, their pensions and and everything. Uh, A lot of the union members in KEA, they stood by us and stood with us in the fight to ensure that we had our promised pensions in Kentucky and for educators and that nothing would, would be cut. And they, they really stood by and, and helped us. And, and so unions, they're there to help the workers and they're there to give them the best workplace that they possibly can. And where the negative connotation for labor unions come in, it's kind of been the uh, slandering by corporations. Uh, you know, think about it if someone's a, a CEO somewhere and they can't exploit a worker, but then the workers start stepping up and go, no, we don't want that. The, the CEO is going to slander them so they can try and keep making profit for themselves for the greed. And so that has happened throughout history as unions kept going. And that's kind of why we're at the point where are where some people are so negative against them because they've heard these slander. They've heard these essential, essentially lies against unions and what they're doing. Right. And it's just kind of been ingrained into some of our mindsets as we go on. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've seen evidence of that recently with recent unionization pushes down in Alabama involving those Amazon workers. And a lot of what is typically asked for by a lot of people who are trying to unionize is just competitive wages. And so along that vein, are you a supporter of the $15 an hour minimum wage? Like, do you believe that should be implemented nationwide? I do. And here's why. Uh, Since we last talked, I actually did a little more research. Um, So I actually have pulled up the living wage calculator that MIT created, which they they do extensive research um, on many subjects. And I just happened to type in my home city of Bowling Green, Kentucky. And so this living wage calculator that they have, it's as if someone is working 40 hours a week, 52 uh, weeks a year. Right. So no days off working the maximum you can in the 40 hour work week. And I just want to throw out some, some numbers for you. So for a single adult who's living by themselves in Bowling Green, Kentucky with no children, that single adult in order to have a living wage would have to make $13 and 89 cents an hour. Just in order for that person to have a living wage. And the poverty wage for that one adult with zero children is $6.13. So the minimum wage is above that poverty wage, but not a whole lot, okay? But then let's say you have a single parent who's living. Well, the poverty wage jumps up to $8.29 an hour. Right. And in order for the living wage, that person would have to make $27.90 an hour if you have a single parent with one child in Bowling Green, Kentucky, okay? Um, and, and they have statistics for two children, three children, but I wanna also jump over to, let's say two adults, both working, okay? 
and which we're seeing that a lot more often. So two adults both working with no children in order to have a living wage, $11.04 is what it is for them to have a living wage per hour. Right. Add in one child for them, just one child for both working adults. They would have to both make $15.35 an hour for that living wage. Well, okay. and, and, and that just blows my mind, thinking if, if both parents are working, they would still have to make 15, over, a little over $15 in and of itself just to have a living wage in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And a lot of people consider Kentucky to be one of the cheaper places to live, and it is on a lot of fronts. But the fact that even here, it, it costs so much just to have that living wage, it's astounding. And, and that's why I think 15 is the, is the bare minimum we should raise it to, to, right. to give these people a chance. Right. And, you know, a lot of times the questions that pop up, or not the, really the questions, but basically the, the people who are against this, like the first thing that you always hear is, oh, well, should, should someone who works at McDonald's get $15 an hour? Isn't that the first thing that we always hear? Yes. Or something along those lines or, well, oh, if we pay fast food workers $15 an hour, then like, what, what am I going to get paid as a nurse? What am I going to get paid as a, or, you know, as a person working at X company or Y company? It's almost like, well, my labor is valued at this. So I don't think that other people's labor should be valued at this, but you know, from your personal experience, you told me that you worked at a McDonald's. How did that shape your view of working class jobs? And do those people deserve to be paid $15 an hour? Uh, so working at McDonald's, it was an interesting experience. I worked there uh, kind of the middle-ish of my senior year and then worked all through college. Eventually was a manager. I started as a grill cook. Uh, the people who work at McDonald's, that job is not easy. It's not at all. Uh, going in, you know, as a high school senior, it's like, yeah, McDonald's, it's my first job. It's going to be easy. It's, and then big eye-opening experience when I got there and you're standing in front of the hot grill or the hot oil, or you're having a million things yelled at you because something has happened and you have all of these orders. It's again, it's hard work, both mentally and physically. Right. And then you have the chance of the, uh, safety hazards that can come with it. You know, if, uh, you don't have on non-slip shoes, you could trip and fall on the floor because of the grease that's around. Again, I mentioned earlier, it's the hot grill, the hot oil vats, um, you could burn yourself on, um, they have a light bulb on the saying that you dump the fries in to keep them warm. You could burn yourself on that if you accidentally hit that. And just so many things that could happen. And again, add on top of that, in the summer, if the air conditioning goes out in the kitchen, um, and, and which I've had that happen, it, it gets well over 100 degrees, 110 degrees at times, if that happens. And so these fast food workers, they, they work really hard and they, that job is not easy. And so they do deserve $15 an hour. Um, What I also think is a little 
bit on on the flip side ironic about everything um the people who do say fifteen dollars an hour shouldn't be what like fast food workers make we're seeing people now saying well i can't go through xyz fast food restaurant because there's no workers there because they do want a better wage and uh most notable case here in Kentucky, one of our uh, GOP representatives in our Congress actually made a public post about it, going to two fast food restaurants because they didn't have enough workers and and that everyone's lazy. No, everyone realizes that they are not being paid for what the work they're doing. And, and so it, it's, it's a double-edged sword if you want them to come back to that work increase their wages and pay them what they're doing because it's hard work it really is yeah and it is a shame that we feel the need to kind of like push people down and say like oh well this work doesn't deserve this wage or this work doesn't deserve that wage you know i don't want to you know interject too much here but I, i feel as though we're experiencing a tremendous amount of income inequality in this country, the people who own a lot of these giant corporations, they have tremendous amounts of profit. They can afford to pay people what they deserve to make. But, you know, and, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and I was going to say with, with you mentioning that um, the, the local McDonald's here, and I'm not saying they're not um, deserving of it because they are uh, wholeheartedly, but they have enough money that once a year they can buy store managers, brand new cars or things like that. And again, the store managers, they do work really hard. I've worked with a lot of them. They're amazing human beings. But at the same time, if you have enough money just to buy a brand new car for someone, you have enough money to pay your workers more so they can have a living wage. And they're just exploiting. uh, and, And I know, Um, when I was a worker, we would get parties and we would have like pizza in the back and, and little things like that. But that doesn't help with living wages at all. Right. Now, now one of the ways that's trying to be, you know, one of the things that's going on right now in Washington that is attempting to address, you know, some of our economic instabilities right now uh, is this infrastructure plan that has been proposed by the Biden administration. Now it's kind of tied up in, we'll call them negotiations right now, Uh, to put it if, uh, well, I'm just trying to be nice. Uh, So do you believe that this infrastructure plan that's been proposed by the Biden administration, do you believe that it will benefit the people of Kentucky? Does our country as a whole need this plan right now? I think it will benefit the people of Kentucky, but I I wish we would go for more. Um, It doesn't quite address all of the the needs and infrastructure plan that I would propose would address. It's almost like a a baby step in the right direction. Um, And and with infrastructure, if you don't mind me going on uh, uh, about it a little bit, there in a nation, you can have two types of infrastructure, in which a lot of people don't realize this. You have the economic infrastructure, which is what everyone knows, the, the roads, the bridges, the airways, the waterways, things of that nature, the physical 
things we use to help our economy. Right. In which in Kentucky, we are seeing roadways that are uh, falling apart, bridges that are getting dangerously close to being unusable. And, you know, our, our waterways, we need to ensure that they're still clean and, and all of that. And, and I do think we need to invest in those. That is something that we need to do. But on the other side, you have social infrastructure, which deals with the people who use the physical items for uh, the economy. And, and that's important too, because we wouldn't have an economy if we didn't have people and we didn't have people spending money, there would be no economy. Right. And so we need to invest in them. And those social infrastructures deal with things like education, they deal with childcare, they deal with healthcare, and anything that can help someone socially. And that's kind of the biggest part where I do think the, the Biden's infrastructure plan is lacking. And I wish that they would address that. Um, it also is lacking in some uh, cleaner energy sources too, but that's a whole nother point. But uh, I, I really do wish that we would spend that time and invest in that social infrastructure. And, you know, living wage, uh, that's also a part of that, ensuring that no one has to work two, three, four, five, however many jobs just right. to stay afloat. Um, and things like that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely here. The infrastructure bill, it does seem like there could have been more put into it, but you know, as it stands, it is something that I think we all still need. I mean, we're seeing stories coming out you know, around the country, especially out of Florida recently with those buildings that collapsed. I mean, and people looking the other way as far as like keeping renovations up uh, and it, it's honestly just a shame when you when you drive across the country right now. You can tell there's so many different things that need to be addressed. So hopefully that does happen soon. Now, one of the last things I want to talk to you about is some of the issues that we've had more recently in regards to our voting rights. So after this past election, there were lots of claims leveled about uh, voter integrity along the lines of people who claim that there were fraudulent votes that happened in this past election. Now, this idea that has been debunked over and over and over again, that there was inconsistencies with our election, even though it's been debunked, it has also, you know, led to hundreds of voter suppression bills being sent through state houses all over our country. Now, due to this fact, Democrats in Washington have now proposed a Voting Rights Act that would basically federalize a lot of election processes so that individual states wouldn't have as much control. Where do you fall on this particular conversation? Do you believe that we should have this Voting Rights Act and why or why not? So I think as a nation, we do need to have this Voting Rights Act because in other states, and I'll get to Kentucky in just a second, in other states, we are seeing bills go through that are essentially suppressing the vote, that are trying to purge voter rolls, that are trying to make it harder for people to vote, which is not what democracy is about. And 
it, we should in fact be doing the opposite. We should make it, be making it easier for eligible voters to vote. You know, the, the whole, the, the biggest issue that I heard a lot of people was the mail-in ballots, how they were saying those were fraudulent. Well, there was no, no one ever found them to be fraudulent, one. And two, mail-in ballots have been used in elections for a long time, one for the military. And then if I'm thinking correctly, it's either Washington or Oregon um, that have used them often. And, and so- Yeah, they're uh, used pretty frequently. We've been using mail-in ballots since the Civil War. Um, yeah, and, and, and so um, that's where, uh, again, a lot of people have had issues. Um, but just hindering people's ability to vote is not democratic at all. And so this voter rights bill, I think it's called the For the People Act, um, is something that we should implement nationwide. Now, with Kentucky, I will say it has been a little surprising. We have a Democrat governor, Andy Bashir, who, side note, is an amazing governor. Um, he actually announced that Kentucky actually has a surplus uh, $1.1 million surplus, uh, complete side note on that. But he uh, worked with our Republican Secretary of State, Michael Adams, during the, the COVID pandemic. And voting during the pandemic was essentially f without flaw in my county. It was perfect. We had the early voting, we had mail-in voting, and we had the on-day voting, everything. And they actually worked together to implement a voting bill to actually increase voting access in Kentucky. Now, it's not like massive, like you have a must of vote or anything, but it's, it has moved in that right direction to make it a little bit easier for people here to vote, which is something I do want to make sure people understand that, yes, a lot of states have been doing bad, but Kentucky has been doing good on that front. We have been working to make sure that democracy is a thing here. Uh, but again, as a nation, I do think we need to address that. And I do fully support the, the voting rights bill. Okay. And you know what, that kind of leads us into our final question of the day here, which is why, as your final pitch, why should the people of the second district of Kentucky vote for you in the upcoming election? I think that they should vote for me just for the simple fact I've been in the situations a lot of the working class people in Kentucky have been in. I know what a lot of people have issues with. I know what it's like to try and survive in this district. I don't have a big financial backing. I don't have a rich family. I've just, I know what the issues are and I just want to fix them. And we've been neglected for too long and it's time to bring someone in that will work to fix it. Okay, well, thank you so much, William Compton. That is the candidate running for the second congressional district of Kentucky. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you at on social media, a website, where, where can people look for you online? 
Yeah. So the, the best way to find out about myself, my campaign, or to reach out to my campaign team is to visit williamcompton.com. And you can go there. And from that website, you can actually reach all of our other social media platforms, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're on any of those, uh, you can put at Compton, the number four, uh, then KY 2022. I'm using those millennial symbols in there. <laughs> uh, and you can go to that. That's our handle on Twitter, Facebook, and even on Instagram. If you would like to donate to our campaign, we are completely grassroots funded. And you can find the Act Blue link on our website, or if you just go to Act Blue and you search William Compton, my name will pop up as well. And, and that's a way that you can help donate to the campaign. Okay. And for everyone who's listening to this episode right now, if you click into the episode notes, you will see the links to his website and where you can donate in the description below. So make sure you take a second to go into that description and check out one of those links. William, thank you for coming on today. Best of luck in the election. Can you just let everyone know really quickly, like when is the, is it, I'm assuming a primary election? Yes. So the primary will be in May of next year. Okay. So. All right. May 2022. Everyone be on the lookout for that. Thank you again for joining us. And everyone else, I'm going to be right back from a quick break, and then you'll have my final thoughts of the day. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. To everyone who made it all the way through the episode, well, obviously you made it through the, all the way through the episode if you're listening to me speak now. Uh, thank you for checking out this episode so much. I'm sure that not every one of you is a resident of the second district of Kentucky, but nonetheless, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode and listen to William's platform. And if you are interested in keeping up with him, his campaign, possibly donating to his campaign, all of those links are in the description. So go ahead and go to the episode description right now, no matter what platform you're on, and you should be able to see the links to his website. So feel free to go check him out. There should also be a link to his Twitter page as well and a donation link if you would like to. I know that we just got out of an election season, so it's kind of hard to get rethinking about elections coming back up, but they're, but they're coming back up. And so it's always important to stay engaged in politics and to know whether or not you are registered to vote, because you just never know if you somehow, some, some way, are no longer registered. So I have also included a link in the description to vote.org, which I think is a great tool to not only check your registration very quickly, but they have links through their website that allows you to register, and I, and I believe in every state through their website. So check that out if you are unsure about your status as a current registered voter, no matter what state you are in. I wanna take a quick moment to say thank you to the subscribers, to everyone who tunes into Independent Thought each and every week, as well as my patrons all 45 of you, I believe there are currently. It is 
absolutely a deep honor for me that all of you are investing into this podcast. And if you are a member of Patreon, you will be able to see the video version of this episode through Patreon as of today. And if you would like to see the video version, feel free to click on the link in the description and sign up for Patreon today. And you will be able to see the video version of not only this guest, but all guest segments for season four. Now, as I was saying a few seconds ago, it is very important to stay engaged in politics. I've said this before, not just in this episode, but in previous episodes where I've had candidates on. Local politics are the most important politics to all of us. That is just my humble opinion. And I encourage everyone to stay engaged with what's going on with them locally. And so again, Kentucky Second District might not be yours, but if it is, this is especially important to you as William Compton is running to be the representative of your district. But with that also being said, we all have our own local representatives that we should be checking in with because these are the people who most directly affect our day-to-day lives when it comes to political decisions. Now, when it comes to what's happening next on Independent Thought, uh, we have kind of a quick turnaround because as with this season, I'm going to be doing an extra episode every month. And so with that being said, I will have another episode uh, this upcoming Monday on the 2nd. So there will be three episodes in the course of seven days here. So kind of jam-packed this week. I'm going to try to have at least one political candidate on the podcast every month this entire season. So I'm hoping for another one in August, September, October, November, and December. I will keep everyone updated on who those potential candidates will be. I have five others in mind, working out some things behind the scenes and hoping that I'll be able to get the five that I've reached out to, but time will tell. And the best way to keep up with that and to keep up with everything else involved in the podcast is to follow me on Instagram at independent thought. Checking out my stories on a daily basis is the best way to stay up to date with me and this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Indie Thought. I've been a little more active on there, so feel free to reach out to me on there if you are more of a Twitter subscriber. Either way, if you liked this episode or any episode, feel free to DM me and give me your feedback on what you thought about the episode. And if you really liked it, feel free to share this episode or again, any other episode on social media and feel free to tag me as well. I very much appreciate that. Now to everyone who has listened to this episode, previous episodes, whether this is your first time listening, you're a returning listener, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Independent Thought. I will see you all in the next episode. Don't forget to register to vote. Thank you.